0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for turning into the Vigilance Press podcast. Tonight is a very special science edition of the Vigilance Press podcast. We are talking with Mike Olson, who is the lead designer for the Atomic Robo role-playing game. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great because Robo just came out for pre-order today. Yes, it did. So I'm psyched. So, if you're listening to this and you didn't know that, run on over to the Evil Hat website. It's FateRPG.com. I think uh, there's a slash Atomic Robo, but uh, you should be able to find it from the fade-rpg.com website. And um, if you pre-order the physical book, you can go ahead and download the PDF now. And it is gorgeous! Good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you ha- think so. Yeah, I'm about halfway through the book, um, mostly skimming and, and kind of pushing through it. But uh, for those who don't know, it is based on the Fate Core role-playing game. And uh, we'll get more into the system elements of it a bit later. But um, to start off, let's go ahead and introduce you to our audience. Since um, people may know you from Fate, if they're Fate fans, but if they're not Fate fans, they may not have heard your name. How long have you been working in the RPG industry?
1: Um, Let's see. Uh, Since February 2009 was when I got the email from Chris Birch at Cubicle 7 about working on a fantasy version of Starblazer Adventures, mm, and okay. uh, that became Legends of Anglaire. So yeah, so then.
0: Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, is is are all the projects you've worked on been uh, using like the Fate system, or have you worked yeah. in other fields? Okay. <laughs>
1: nope, all it's all been Fate from uh, from Anglaire, Then I uh, worked on the Fate edition of the Kerberos Club, and mm-hmm. uh, based on my work there, I. Ended up uh, working on the Atomic Robo RPG. That's kind of a story in itself. And then um, after I got the Atomic Robo gig, then I worked on Fake Core and Fake Accelerated and uh, stuff with the Fake Toolkit. And I, so then more recently, I've gotten more back to back work. So my my body of work has uh, exploded lately. Okay. Um, And I'm working on Jade Punk and then, um, yeah, and then Robo and then uh, some Tian Sha thing.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, for those listening, he's he's mentioning the uh, upcoming book for Tian Sha. You're going to be doing some uh, mass combat rules to work with our yeah. kung fu system.
1: Oh, which reminds me, I should mention War of Ashes, which is in playtest right now. Another uh, fake game from Evil Hat. Speaking of mass combat, based on a minis game, but um,
0: oh yeah, yeah is they, that that's the one that's kind of the Muppets? Yeah, style? It's, yeah,
1: they're they're Muppety, puppety oddballs, Muppety-looking things that uh, murder each other. They have good reason. Don't get me wrong, but but um, the neat challenge there was they wanted a Fate game that used miniatures and like a battle map, and uh, so that that was that was fun coming up with. I mean, because I I never use minis with Fate, um, so coming up with a way to use minis that was fun and that worked with Fate and uh, like you know was interesting and tactical and stuff without being uh, too heavy was. It so was that was a challenge, but it was a lot of fun to
0: do. Very cool, very cool. I'm um, I'm a big fan of uh, using uh, at least standees or, or miniatures. Maybe not um, maybe not the lead ones, but we do a lot of the the kind of fold out cardboard heroes yeah. style stuff, and yeah. uh, that's why I try to include them in most of our products. Um, and I wanted to get this name because my brain was. Uh, Mistake, but I wanted to make sure I got this right. It's uh, this, the Tinshaw War, Iron, and Stone is the book right. you'll be working on. And, um, yeah, we're really excited about uh, getting you to work on that one. We've got uh, Ryan Macklin working on the uh, the Spirits, Beasts, and Spells book. So, some very cool people working on yeah. Tinshaw for us. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and... Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this this other project that you've uh, finally you're you're kind of letting go into the wild now. um yeah. Atomic Robo. Um, so I'm gonna check my list of questions here because I had one that you'd specifically wanted me to ask. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Okay. So so basically I'm I'm gonna assume were you a fan of the. Atom- oh, I'm not going to assume. I'm going to ask. Were you a fan of the Atomic Robo comic book before starting work on this project? In other words, how awesome was it to work on this?
1: Um, I'm going to answer the second question first. <laughs> second part of the question first, if I could. Uh, it was very sure. awesome, but no, I did not know the comic before Brian Clevenger came to me with it. Um, okay. He had read uh, the Fate Edition of the Kerberos Club and made Atomic Robo using those rules and was really happy with it. So he contacted me... Out of the blue, as far as I knew, and said, Hey, uh, we have this comic book. It's a mix of Rares of the Lost Dark and Ghostbusters and Buckaroo Banzai and Planetary. Um, and here's, uh, here's some issues. He sent me PDFs of, uh, I think, three issues from volume six, which was the current issue, current volume at the time. And um, I read like a page and a half of the first issue and then had to email him. To tell him, yeah, I want in on this. Whatever, whatever. I don't know what you can pay, but I want to be a part of this because <laughs> I, I just got the comic right away. And I and if you read the first page and a half of Robo, it's not like big action-packed stuff happening. Um, it's just like I totally got the vibe of it and I loved it immediately. And um, then uh, you know, then it went from there. And then um, he. So that was December 2011. So mm-hmm. the same year that uh, Kerberos left. Fate Edition came out, um, just a few months later. And then, so we started talking about how this thing would work, and of course I was thinking about it in terms of Strange Fate, the version of Fate that Kerberos Club uses. And then he mentioned on Twitter to Fred Hicks that he liked Spirit of the Century, and Fred said, well, we like Atomic Robo. And then Brian said, hey, I may have mentioned this to Fred Hicks. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have any professional relationship with Fred Hicks at the time. I, You know, I, you know, so I, I didn't know him at all. Um, so then I was like, oh, well, great. Now you're going to get like evil hat involved. And then where do I end up in this <laughs> project? I was like, I'm going to get cut out of this thing. Um, because like, why wouldn't you, you know, like we we have this known quantity, even how it wants to right. do it, you know? So I was like, man, I got to get on Twitter just to like, just keep my, keep my hand in this <laughs> <and> see what's <laughs> going on. But of course I had no need to be that par- paranoid at all. Um, You know, I got to talking to Fred Hicks and uh, he was more than happy to both publish the role playing game and keep me on it as uh, the guy to do it. So, you know, I since learned that Fred is like one of the nicest guys in the RPG biz. So I had nothing to fear there. I think I've been watching too much Mad Men or something (laughs) Um, as if you could. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, so that's how that happened. And then once that then once it came under so, evil so, hat.
0: So really the um, that that seems like a really unusual way for a license to come about. Most of the times yeah. the uh, the publisher is looking for a license. It's right. it's rare that the license seeks out a publisher.
1: Yeah, well the I mean in this case, Brian and Scott, you know, the creators of the comic, they just want to do a role playing game. Yeah. And Scott was way into Savage Worlds. But doing a Savage Worlds version of Atomic Robo would have been problematic because it would have been it would have been too expensive to include um, the rules and everything for Robo in the same book, or it would have been prohibitively problematic somehow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they wanted one book; they didn't want to make people buy, you know, the Explorers edition and also something else. So that was kind of that was that was kind of a non-starter for them. Um, but it did take a while to convince Scott that uh, you know, like what Fate could do and how it worked. And then I ran Atomic Robo for the two of them at Emerald City Comic Con last year. And then, you know, I think he was, he had been sold before that, but he had a lot of fun in that game. But, um, yeah, it's important to note that, you know, Brian and Scott, they both are gamers and like games. And, uh, you know, there are references to, like, there are references to Mage in Atomic Robo and now vice versa because, (laughs) because Ryan Macklin, you know, is part of that World of Darkness team that did, um, uh, you know, I don't know enough about World of Darkness to speak authoritatively about mm-hmm. anything that anyone has done on it, but I know that uh, he was doing some technocracy thing, and that uh, the, whatever his material was he'd written, he had some reference to Atomic Robo in there too. So, so that's uh, so it's all it's all recursive. Excellent. Um, but uh, but yeah, I was um, it was super weird. I agree, and lucky the way it came about, but. They just wanted to get a role-playing game done. And at first they they're like, I don't know what we, would, what we would pay you. And I was like, well, we will work something out because I really want to do this. And then it went from that to, like, maybe we could send you some trades or a sandwich or something. And, the, and then uh, when <laughs> Evil Hack got it, suddenly it was this big high-profile thing. And, you know, like a press release and all this, you know, suddenly it became a, a big project. And, uh, you know, it obviously really benefited from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um... It sounds like, I mean, since they were involved with it, um, that explains a couple of my other questions that I was going to ask. Um, first of all, how much, you know, th- their names are on the front of the yeah. role-playing game, the, the PDF. Like, mm-hmm. it's 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 uh, Brian, um, your I name, and then Scott's yeah. name. Yeah. How involved were they in the production process of the game?
1: Um, I, well, first... Uh, Brian wrote some material from the book um, mm-hmm. I asked him to write first of all an introduction to the setting the two of us wrote the timeline together which is pretty extensive he gave me a timeline and I was like well I feel like there are 50 other things that should be on this and I added a bunch of stuff to it um, he uh, also wrote um, uh, kind of a breakdown about how they put a volume together you know, how they do a 5 issue story and like their formula for doing that So that's in the book as a way to structure your own, uh, your own games of Atomic Robo. If you want them to have, if you're going for like that particular Atomic Robo feel of how things happen, like they have a formula that they follow. It doesn't feel formulaic. They do have a formula. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, they also provided a list of, uh, inspirations, you know, like the old appendix N from the DM's guide. Mm -hmm. That was important. I wanted to have one of those. And then Scott did new art for the book. Um... So uh, you know, I, I would say that early on we got we got Scott's art uh, sometime in the middle of last year. Early on, I got those contributions from Brian, and then um, you know, then he was he was more or less done. Like once he'd done that, and I'd run stuff past him all the time, and I'd bug him about details and stuff. But he was he was a good uh, resource. But um, uh, yeah, we didn't. I don't think we we worked them too hard on it. <laughs> um, not that their contributions aren't welcome. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that. Um, I feel like Brian contributed stuff in the beginning, Scott contributed stuff near the end, um, once we knew what art we needed.
0: That's very cool, um, though, for but, you to yeah, get... Yeah, but
1: it was, it, was great to, it was great just to work with them, to have them available as a resource, you know. hmm And just to have free reign with all of the art from that Scott had ever done for the comic, that was remarkable. And, you know, I think, like, a, our first... Um, uh, layout artist and editor Jeremy Keller had done Marvel Heroic. And you know, Marvel had like strict uh, rules in place of what you could do to their art and what you couldn't do to their art. And, um, you know, they were they're, understandably so. They, you know, they had their big, expensive IP and they were protecting it and all this stuff. But with Brian and Scott, it's two guys, you know, and Red 5, which is a, you know, a mid sized comic publisher and. Um, so it was all small enough that we all could just talk and, like, know each other, and it was no big deal. You mm-hmm. know, and they were more than happy to contribute anything they could, which is which is great.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so, let's see. I was going to mention the fact that uh, it seems like a lot of the evil hat guys who worked on this particular project, uh, their avatars online are changing to a lot of the... Uh, to to cartoons this, this drawn was, by Scott Wagner.
1: <laughs> this was so crazy today. I mean, uh, first of all, I just to stop for a moment and think about how great it is. I mean, I know this is a this is a big. Uh, it's a it's pretty highly anticipated launch for Evil Hat. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I know everyone's really excited about it at Evil Hat, which is awesome. First of all, but just I uh, just for me, it's the thing that I I feel like I've been working on for the longest time. I was just kind of off on my own. Doing this, you know, I, <laughs> I, uh, um, I, you know, the idea was to keep it small, and I, you know, I wrote, I had other people to contribute material, you know, Brian and Scott and Morgan Ellis and Brian Engard, but, um, you know, it's I, you know, wrote like ninety-five thousand words uh, of this, the bulk of it, <laughs> yeah. uh, or found them, you know, found them in a fake Core and entered them, but there's not, you know, you know, so anyway, I was, I was off, I just felt like I was off in the wilderness for most of the development process, writing this thing. And so it's just so nice to get that kind of support. You know, it's just not only are they excited about it, but Fred plants this whole thing. Okay, Doctor Dinosaur is going to take over the Twitter feed, and we're going to do all this crazy stuff today. You know, he he got Scott to draw these avatars of all of us, and um, we're all going to put on this big show. You know, on <laughs> leading up to the launch of the pre-order, and it was just it was just nuts. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was like, man. I'm feeding a baby here. I got, you know, I got <laughs> stuff to do. I don't. I want to participate in this as much as anyone else. And I was like, oh, man, I got I don't know. I'm gonna carve out time to like be super active in this little game here today. But um, but it was great. It was great to see. It was great to see everyone so excited about it and people. You know, it was it was a really exciting launch. It was just, you know, it felt very. It, it was like flattering that it was. You know, it was important enough that uh, people went through that much effort for it. I, I just thought it was great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and who doesn't want uh, you know a portrait of themselves drawn by Scott Wigner
0: So, exactly. Onis. Yep. So um, it's it's kind of interesting that you know we we talked about the licensing ahead of time. A lot of a lot of games have um, you know a lot of game publishers kind of make their bones on published you know on using other other licenses for their products, and then a lot of other companies kind of create their own licenses. You were talking a little bit about how it came into be that you used fate, but um, you know, how, how much, how much did uh, I mean? How difficult was it to you know adapt fate to the atomic robo setting, or vice versa? I mean, how how did how did you find those two marrying uh, in the well, process of making the book?
1: Yeah, very well. I I mean, the cool thing was you know the the, the book itself is full of. It uses art from the comic to illustrate rules, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was not difficult to find the bulk of these examples. The only ones that are kind of hard to find were like sort of corner case things that don't come up a lot, um, you know, just in gameplay. And then finding panels to show what that looks like, but we did it. I mean, we have every every rule is exo- is uh, illustrated by uh, you know panels from the comic. Um, with the out of character text, you know, out of character dialogue between the GM and the players, and then what's in the panel is what's happening in the fiction. Um, but so it was easy to do. You could, I could read the comic and say, like, oh, well, there he got compelled for that, or look, he got hit by some sort of, you know, electro electromagnetic pulse or something, and now that knocks Robo out. That's clearly a compel, right? He just gets taken out in one, you no know, one go like that. Um, and so that was pretty easy. And so then my job became not how do you make fate work, but what else would be good for fate to have, for for an atomic robo game to have? Like what happens in this comic and kind of, um, uh, you know, what what are important things these characters and how do they solve problems? And uh, so that was all, that was interesting stuff. And also um, from the start, it was a mandate that let's get people playing as soon as possible. Let's not have a really involved character generation process if people don't want it. Um, because, you know, a target demographic is going to be people who are fans of the comic, but who aren't gamers or haven't played Fate. Right. You know, so you want them to just get playing because they're fans of it. So let's, let's just go already. Um, so that's where I came up with the idea of, uh, modes, you know, groupings of skills that go together. And so you pick packages of skills, not every skill individually. And then there's also provisions in there for making up your own skills because plenty of characters aren't just kind of stock characters like, like, um, you know, well, the modes are explained in the toolkit if you're listening and have read the toolkit. Um, and uh, But the version of modes in there was something I had to adapt for a much smaller word count. Um, in Robo, they were given a little more room to breathe, and the um, coming up with your own modes, and your own skills is dealt with in more detail. Um, so that was a thing to kind of speed up play, like just determine a few little things about your character, like just the broad bits, and then do everything else as you play. To, you improve skills, you fill in aspects, you give yourself stunts, you do all that stuff as you play, and uh, you know don't worry about doing it all up front. So there's no the whole idea of phases of you know how do you connect with the other characters? That's all gone because your connection with the other characters is that you're Action Scientists, and most of the time in Atomic Robo, I would say you don't see a whole lot of interpersonal drama or an indication of a lot of deep history between Action Scientists. They have a job to do. They're they're tied together by their mission. And things come up during the mission, you know, uh, during the case, whatever it is that they're doing, um, and that seems to be uh, the most important thing. Or at least that's how we get to know them. There's never a time where, you're like, let's flash back and learn about Lang. What's what was her past like? You know, you don't you don't get a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. You could, but you know, it's it's you don't get these digressions into you know, oh, what made this character who they are today? You don't get a whole lot of that. You do with Jenkins. You do with Robo, but that's just about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, the idea was, yeah, you find out who your character is in play. Just like these action scientists you see in a comic, um, you kind of don't know who they are. Like, you just see, you know, Ada is just a face or Bernard is just a face. And then as you read more, you learn more about them and they become more fleshed out. So the idea is you would start play like that, just a few details about you. And as you go along, we learn more about you through your actions, through things you do. And then by the end of, you know, two or three sessions, you have a complete character. We know who you are now. Um, so there are characters in the book like, there are a lot of character write-ups in the book from the comic and a lot of them that are meant to be player characters just have those few little details, you know, they just have a couple aspects, they have their skill modes um, and they have one stunt, but that's it and then everything else you're meant to figure out during play because let's pretend we don't really know much about them, on a lot of these characters we don't know a whole lot about them, there's probably more in the description of those characters, there's more detail about than that's ever been revealed in the comics um, like who knew that Lang was uh, She's the daughter of I um, oh, wish I could think of it now daughter of like a Hong Kong banker or something it never comes up in the comics but Brian knows who all these people are <laughs> Brian and Scott know who these guys are so the cool thing is we can have all these additional details in the background if you want to bring any of that out during play while you're playing them you can do that if not you don't have to But
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that, anyway that was a big thing let's get people playing right away Another big thing was there's a great bit in the first volume of Atomic Robo where they're fighting giant ants. Right. Our Robo is down fighting giant ants. So he's on the ground in Nevada fighting these giant ants. No one knows why they're so big, where they came from or anything. In the helicopter above him, there are three scientists talking about how these ants get so big. And they, are, they argue back and forth about the ants. They're trying to figure out something about them. So that they can give Robo a strategy down the ground, like some way to defeat them if they know where they came from or something. You know, it's real typical. Um, they never do figure out why they're big, but one of the scientists is just putting forth the most ridiculous pseudoscience theories—just crazy ideas about imaginary physics—and it just none of it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But he's real passionate about it, and that to me was like a very much a, uh, an emblematic thing about Atomic Robo: these scientists getting together and using science to solve a mystery. Like to figure something out, so I wanted a system in Fate where that would happen in play, where mm-hmm. you'd have this, you'd have this brainstorm. Everyone collaborates to figure out what's going on, and once you come up with a hypothesis about what's going on, that's what's going on. So, um, because you're action scientists, you're not going to be wrong about this stuff. You're all geniuses. You're going to figure <laughs> it out. Um, so that's the way it works in the game. You, um, there's always or frequently that moment in a game, any role-playing game, where. You know, you're dealing with some problem at some point somebody says what's going on here like where these guys come from what's you know, what's what do we think is really happening and that's the cue for a, an atomic Robo for a brainstorm to start It could happen in the middle of a fight some people can be fighting some people can be talking about you know how to stop these ants or whatever um, and uh, uh, that's when the brainstorm starts and everyone throws out everyone has the opportunity to throw out facts you know, like a paper they read or, uh, you know, some study they participated in, some research they had done or, you know, something. Um, And then you establish a few of these facts and then you use those facts to form a hypothesis. And then that that hypothesis will be proven true as the game goes on. So kind of the assumption is that the um, GM might not know, uh, you know, himself what is happening. The players are going to come up with that and tell him. And uh, I've run a ton of games of Atomic Robo now, and it, it's always a fun moment when players get together and get together and try to figure out what's happening. And I don't know what's going to happen next, really. You know, then I can just roll with it. But, you know, fate is so easy to just roll with that uh, it's, it's not a problem, but it's made for some very, uh, you know, fun stories. Okay, so that cool. was a big thing. Brainstorms was a big thing. And then the other thing was every now and then someone has to invent something important. Mm-hmm. come up with some piece of technology or do something. So there's this, a really simple system for inventing things. Uh, like in um, The Shadow Beyond Time, Robo has to invent this hyper-dimensional cage to trap The Shadow from Beyond Time. Um, and, uh, you know, that seemed to be a pretty big focus of that issue. He and Carl Sagan figure a bunch of stuff out. They build this machine. It's a big deal. And um, later in that same issue, he and multiple versions of himself from different... Times in his life come together in this white void to do the same thing. They invent this, uh, you know, problem-solving MacGuffin out of nothing, and uh, it solves the problem. So things like that seem important enough to warrant some sort of system for how to invent the thing. So that's in there too, and cool. it's um, it's very much about what do you have to go through to get the thing that you want, not not like how many points do you pay for the thing, you know? Um, so it's a it's just kind of a system for generating more. Problems or complications, or even like a whole scenario, you know, an, an issues worth of play um, in the course of inventing a thing. So those are probably the two big things I'd say, system-wise, that are uh, that are new to Robo.
0: Okay. Anyway, blah so, blah blah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm probably gonna jump. I'm, let me jump away from the system just a little bit here, um, sure. and we'll we'll come back to some more system-specific stuff in a bit. But um, one more thing, I kind of wanted to point out about the uh, the actual book itself. Um, one of the things I really liked about it, anyway, uh, was the layout. It's it's a very clean layout. But you pull a lot of art from the comics. There's just a ton of art in here. A lot yeah. of the panel work. Um, you know, in a lot of the comic book uh, role-playing games, you don't get a whole lot of the panel work because most of them are trying to simply illustrate the rules but you guys went through a lot of trouble to use actual panels and series of of events from the comic to illustrate those rules and i think you did a terrific job and you kind of added some uh, some word balloons of you know the uh certain characters to kind of narrate the rules um can you talk a little bit about uh how that des- design decision came about
1: yeah, well, initially there's a there's a sequence in volume seven where Robo is clearly conceding, like a thing he's having a conversation with a the guy, they're each trying to get the advantage over the other, and there's just a bit where Robo says, "Fine, we'll play it your way," which is like that's <laughs> like a red flag for someone making a concession in fate, like saying, "Just fine, I give up, whatever." That's Robo's player saying, "Okay, fine, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to stand up to this provoke attack. I'm not even gonna roll dice." I give up, and I get captured. You know, that's so that's how that ends. He concedes, he gets some fake points for it, and he's done. Um, so looking at those panels, I get to see every single thing they were saying was creating an advantage and then trying to make a role for something else. And So I really wanted to, it just struck me, like, oh, that's a great example. I bet I could find a lot of examples like that. So first I had them done as panels with captions, kind of just like a, um, like a, like a, like um, a, an associated third-party narrating what's happening. So here's mm-hmm. what's happening here. He does it. he makes this role, he gets this result. Then Robo does this, he gets this result. Um, and then uh, I posted it on the blog, and I got a really good response. I'm like, okay, great. And then Jeremy Keller wanted to have it in a dialogue form between the player and the GM, where the, there would be text boxes in the panels that would be the out-of-character dialogue between the player and the GM, and what's happening in the panel would be the fiction. Mm-hmm. so you so because you know how it is like you have an idea of what's happening in the fiction even if you're not saying every single thing right this, sometimes it doesn't it just works that way so you would show you'd be able to show here's what this looks like in play like when you're telling the story this is what the story part looks like here's what the players themselves are doing mm-hmm. and that got a very good response so I was like okay let's do that um, and so then it, the eventually I made the decision that every example that was illustrating some gameplay thing, would use that format, and that's a lot of examples in the book. It's not every example. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, um, and uh, we learn that the hard way. You know, when you're just really trying to strain to cram this, you know, square peg into the round hole of this example mm-hmm, format, mm-hmm. it does not work. Finally, I just said, all these, this, we just need to change this. We need to stop doing this because we're driving ourselves crazy. But um, and when I say we, I mean I'm talking to myself, <laughs>
0: <laughs> me
1: and uh, you, know, Smeagol. um uh so um well i I did i mean we did get uh like brian engard did write examples that were at some point i was like i would just like some help with this someone please write these examples i don't want to write them um so so he wrote examples are in the book um and uh yeah so then it just required a lot of sourcing art which you know i'd already done i already picked out art for um, you know, character portraits and stuff, but I'm not a layout guy, I'm not a graphic artist. I don't really, I did not at the time, I didn't really understand how to pick out art when you don't know what the space is going to be like. I don't know what kind of hole we need to fill with this art, so how can I pick out art? But I could at least get, pick out character portraits and, like, you know, chapter headers and stuff like that. Um, so then it was a matter of going through every example, rewriting it in this style, and uh, finding art that fit, sometimes dropping the existing text altogether, because it, now we needed to find panels that fit this thing, and you know, wasn't uh, wasn't always practical. So there were times when I, you know I'd written examples that made up completely fictional situations that did not happen in the comic at all, and those just all had to be tossed out because we needed examples from the comic. But I mean, I think it's a strength of both Fate and Atomic Robos, and a testament to Atomic Robos um, appropriateness for Fate that we were able to find them. Um, it was, a, it was a, it's a long arduous process. There are at the time when I started this, there were six volumes of Atomic Robo. You know, each each volume has four to six issues um, to go through page by page, and you know every panel and look. And this 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 one have a thing we can use or not. Um, and since I started that and and the game's been published, there are another two volumes of the comic <laughs> plus two volumes of Real Science Adventures, which are like, um, the first one was an anthology series with, uh, snippets of different stories told in every issue. The second one was uh, one complete story, but every issue had a different artist, which was pretty great. But mm-hmm. we were only using art uh, that Scott had done for this, so, like, that stuff was out, because he didn't draw those anyway. Um, but, you know, still a lot of material got added, a lot of new stuff to add to the timeline and talk about. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of work, but I really do think it paid off, and Um, It was an education in how comics are put together, you know, um, what panels can we use that are going to tell the right part of the story that we need, and just enough and no more. Like the example I was talking about where Robo concedes, I had – that was originally like four or six panels or something, and a ton of dialogue back and forth. I cut it all down to two panels, and I think two or three boxes of dialogue because – that's all it needed, really, and we didn't have space for everything all the time. Right. Um, so it was it was a, les- a real lesson in in uh, economy of storytelling too, in an odd way, um, because yeah, we weren't using panels just to show someone like here's what athletics looks like. It Looks like someone jumping. Yeah, but when you're showing examples of people doing things and having the players describe what they're doing, you gotta you have to allow for some story to fit in there because now you're trying to tell you know the story that's happening in the comic. Um, But, I mean, we were making changes to that up through Friday night, Saturday night, you know, when it's Monday night now. So Mm -hmm. the the version of the game that went on, uh, you know, the people are downloading starting today, uh, that just came together earlier today. Like, that's hot off the uh, electronic presses. So, um, because we're just working on it up to the last second, you know. Mm -hmm. We had wanted to get it done a week ago, but there were just changes that needed to get made and Adam was such a good sport Adam Jury is such a great layout artist for me that he would just go along with everything that I wanted to do and uh, <laughs> no protests. I kept I kept thinking this guy's going to be so sick of me you know <laughs> I feel like a tyrant I keep asking him to change this and do this and this thing isn't right am I asking too much And you know every time I thought it was too much he'd come back and say like I'm really happy about how this is going <laughs> Like he'd just be enthusiastic about it I'm like oh okay good good alright great so, um, but it was great because he, well, I'm I've been super invested in Robo since I got the assignment, but it was gr- it was great working with him because he also really cared about what it looked like in the final product. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's because of uh, I, I've described this as like playing a video game, you know, telling the layout artist what you need. You know, I I don't have InDesign. I'm not the guy doing. I don't have the program. I don't know how to use it even. But I have to tell someone else everything that I need, and when something gets a little bit wrong, I have to go back and do it again. And it's that frustrating experience of sitting next to someone who's playing this video game, and you're going left, go left, you should go left here, press <laughs> <laughs> B button, you know, like where you know what's supposed to happen, but you're not the one who makes it happen. Um, so, but it was worse. It's a video game you've never played, but you have a really good feeling about how it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. Because I knew what I wanted to see on the page, but I didn't have the language to explain to him that. I know that was something of a barrier but we came up with a in good time we came up with a uh, a good um, way of communicating back and forth mm-hmm. so it, unfortunately it was able to happen uh, you know that uh, yeah without without a layout artist willing to you know put in as much time and effort as Adam did the whole you know it w- would have the whole illustrated examples thing would have been much more difficult mm-hmm. and it did take forever it took forever <laughs> but it was worth it, because it yeah. looks fantastic. I'm it really does pleased. look
0: fantastic, and it's really exciting. One of the things that I do miss about some of the older role-playing games that uh, we're starting to do more with um, uh, our stuff uh, in, in our small way. It's not nearly as as uh, uh, illustrated as what you've done there, but I really do miss seeing more you know, actual play-style examples for how, how things work in a game. And I really enjoyed... Seeing those illustrated with the the scenes from the comic because it really gives the players the idea of oh, this is how you would apply this in a story in an actual you know this is this is how the fiction reflects the game mechanics right
1: right yeah and that's what I want to show you know especially for new players if you're like well what do we how does this work you know we all have it's easy for us to make assumptions about how games work and the odds are very good that the vast majority of people who play Atomic Robo are gonna be seasoned gamers anyway. Like uh, might not be everyone's first game. That that's fine. But it's good to, you know, step back and try to lose some of the baggage that we have and just think about like, well, how are we actually doing this? Or what does this look like in play? It's not it's gonna be useful for new players, but it's gonna be useful for experienced players too. That you know, even just this is how fate works. You know, I, I do you do hear from time to time people are like, I cannot wrap my head around fate. So part of the idea with that, too, was like, let's just show every step of how this works. You roll this thing, you add this, so you say, you talk. when you talk to the GM, you might say something like this, you know, and uh, in character, it might look like this, you know. So really, it really just try to break it down. Since we had the art, such a great resource, so, you know, it was we would have been foolish not to use it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, um... Let's get back to the actual mechanics a little bit. Now you've you've got a couple of things um, in in here that weren't in Fate Core, um, and for those who might have uh, familiarity with Fate Core or Fate in general, but not necessarily have read the Fate Core system toolkit, um, I wanted to kind of touch on a couple of things that jumped out at me. Um, first off, can you describe what are modes? How do they affect uh, a character's skill choices? Um,
1: Well, uh, the idea behind modes was a mode is is a group of related skills. Uh, A mode is kind of like a broad area of competence. And the four standard modes are action, banter, uh, intrigue, and science. And these seem to cover everything that normal people do in Atomic Robo. I mean, even not normal people do these things, but um, just in terms of how the skills break down... Mm-hmm. I just wanted to cover everything. Like it's just your regular action scientist, because that's the that's the presumed player character. Just action scientists, not necessarily Atomic Robo himself. Um, what kinds of things do they get up to, and what do they do, and how do they do? Uh, so um, they're really broad, as you can tell. Action is all all kind of actiony stuff, action hero stuff. Like that was what I had in mind. So you're fighting, you're flying a plane, you are intimidating somebody. You're you know like jumping into combat or whatever. Uh, That's all action stuff. Chasing someone down. Banter is all social interaction stuff. Um, Intrigue is all sneaking around. And um, some also uh, kind of touches on social stuff a little bit, but it's mostly just being uh, deceptive in different ways. And science is using science. Science is such a big deal on Atomic Robo that it it definitely needed its own mode. Um, So... It's just a a mode is a group of skills. So when you select a mode, you get all of those skills. You're not picking individual skills. You pick modes. And I believe uh, action, banter, and intrigue each have... It kind of just worked out this way. They each have six skills. Mm -hmm. Um, Science has two skills, but also an infinite number of skills because science includes every field of scientific study. So um, so that's just the way that game mechanics work, uh, the way skills are put together... Uh, you have two skills that fit in science that make sense, Notice and Will, and then you also have all other sciences. So um, each of your modes is rated at uh, plus one, plus two, or plus three. And when you get a mode, you automatically have all the skills in that mode at the same rating of the mode. So if you have good action, you'll have all the action skills at plus three.
0: No. you have good uh, science,
1: you have all sciences at plus three.
0: Yeah, let me just clarify real quick here. Sure. there are, you know, um, skills that appear in a mode are not exclusive to that mode, right? You can actually no. have overlap between yeah. two different modes.
1: And almost every skill does appear in more than one mode. The only ones that don't are probably like, I think, um, combat vehicles, physique. Those are all only under action. All the sciences are only under sciences. Um, and there there are some others. Oh, rapport is only banter. You know, there's some that are really... Uh, you know, really, uh, what do I want to say, really like, modes speak to a particular mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they only appear in one. But um, overlapping skills is fine because if you have more than one mode that has a skill, it automatically gets improved a bit. And if you have three skills that have that same mode, it gets in it, that same, three modes that have the same skill, that skill gets improved uh, as much as it can. So, um, Within a mode, there are three levels of uh, proficiency with a skill. There's trained, like you're trained in this thing, you're competent with it that means you have the skill at the same rating as the mode um, you can be focused in that skill which means the skills rating is the mode rating plus one, so if you had good action and you were focused in vehicles um, you'd be you'd, you'd have great vehicles, so you'd be plus four with all the vehicles um, specialized is plus one above that so the mode's rating plus two, and that's as high as any skill can go so the practical range of skills goes from plus one for just a trained average uh, trained skill in an average mode to plus five, which would be your a specialized skill in your good mode. Um, so there's no skill pyramid really. There's no worrying about how things fit in slots or how they, you know, there that element of balance isn't there. Instead, it's just how things fit into your three
0: modes. Interesting, interesting. So. Um and let's jump over to one of the other uh, kind of a new term I think that I haven't seen uh, used before. Although it's it's more of I think an organizational uh, tactic. But what are mega stunts, and what's the difference between a mega stunt and a normal stunt?
1: Do you remember when Sony released these uh, like uh, disc mans and stuff that had Mega Base? It's uh, it's just like that. No, um Megastunt is um, <laughs> a relatively new name for it, but um, originally it was just extras, but uh-huh. you have to keep in mind development on this started before Fate Core, before I got involved in Fate Core. Fate Core was being developed when I was doing this. But then when I got into Fate Core, then I had to work on Fate Core and develop Robo at the same time so to make sure they, they both worked together because this was a Gen Con two years ago and, you know, doing playtests, they all had to make sense. Um, but then as extras evolved in Fate Core, they did not really describe what extras were in Atomic Robo at all anymore. Um, so a mega stunt is basically... Okay, so everyone has five stunt slots. So you could have up to five different stunts. You can have more than five stunts. But um, under certain circumstances, you can have a stunt that's actually a mega stunt, a stunt that encompasses more than one... That, is, that can be as powerful as you know, two or three or four or five stunts Um, Or more, I guess, if you're really pushing it. So, Robo has a stunt, for example, his atomic strength. Uh, That stunt includes him being super strong. It includes his um, armor rating. It includes a weapon rating for his, uh, you know, fighting an arm, you know, or just using his physical strength. So, that's it's basically worth three stunts in one, but it only takes up one slot. So, that's a mega stunt. Um, And he's able to have that mega stunt because he has. Uh, a weird mode. He has the robot mode. It's not one of the usual standard modes that action scientists have. So, um, anyone can have a weird mode. He, his just happens to be a robot. And some characters could have more than one weird mode. Like, um, Dr. Dinosaur has, um, Dinosaur and Crystals. Or Jenkins has Survivor, Action, and Jenkins. He has a mode just named <laughs> after him. as he's, uh, that's just kind of guy he is. Um... So, uh, it, whether or not you have a weird mode, it's just a matter of how complicated you want to get with your character. If you want to get complicated, you want to get, like, you know, into the fine grain of it and, you know, make up your own skills and all this stuff, then you probably want a weird mode. If you don't, you just, uh, if you're just sitting down to play, you know, one shot or something, or if you just want to start with a simple character or just want to play a simple character forever, because that's what you want, then, uh, you would just pick from standard modes. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so, uh, so, yeah, a Mega Stunt, you need the permission of a weird mode to get a Mega Stunt. Um, okay. But because everyone gets five stunts already, really, they didn't used to be a lot of stunts, but these days it is. Like mm-hmm. in, in Fake Core, the default being three, that's, you know, it's a lot of stunts now. Um, so there's enough room to pack a decent amount of power into any of these characters. These are all, even by Fake Core standards, uh, especially competent characters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you don't see a lot of. Uh, bumbling around with action scientists and uh, even if you do it's mostly just for comic effect they still get the job done mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah so some of these characters are very powerful like Jenkins is a very powerful character I think that the two most powerful characters in the book I think are Jenkins and the Kaiju I think they're technically equally powerful just in terms of um, how many how many the, their mega stunts how many stunt benefits they've crammed into their their stunt slots Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Robo is less powerful than Jenkins, anyone who's read the comic can can uh, agree to that I think um, so uh, yeah, sense are a way to just uh, cram as much power into a character as you need and there's no real upper limit to how much you can cram in there the only issue is that the more stunt benefits a character has um, the more resources the GM gets so if you are willing to have both Robo and Jenkins together in a story, pretty much in Atomic Robo, that means that story is going to involve some really heavy opposition and some really tough antagonists, and it's going to be a big deal. You know, It's not going to be easy. Um, so that's the same in the role-playing game. If you have two or more really powerful characters like that together in a story, that's going to be a, a big story. You know, Majestic 12 is going to invade tesla headquarters or you know atomic robo is going to run into uh you know going to end up in the hollow earth and run into a, a race of rockmen controlled by dr dinosaur like it's going to be a big deal um so that's uh that's something to take into account so in a way it lets the players balance um how tough they want things to be If you if everyone, everyone wants to make weird characters with like just a ton of mega stunts you know all five five stunt slots filled up with mega stunts and every stunt slot crammed with you know Three or four stunt benefits, great. You are going to be, you know, the authority, <laughs> but things are going to be tough for you uh, across the board.
0: Yeah, that so, was kind of that was kind of interesting to me. Is the uh, the idea that the the you know a, a lot of games you have kind of the the characters um, having a drawback or a weakness or something that you know when it comes into play they get points. Or right. you know, or they have a, a power that the GM can turn off or something like that. But in this case, um, you're actually giving like fate points to the GM in yeah. order to have something. And I thought that was that was something that I, I don't think I've seen before, or at least uh, I hadn't seen it in a fate game specifically before. And I really like that.
1: Yeah, I've I've gotten into this idea of um, you know. Yes, we're all working together to tell a story. Like I like the collaborative storytelling, uh, you know, aspect of role-playing games, obviously, and Fate. It's very pronounced in Fate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like the idea of the GM having to work off of his own resources. That you know, the players have their resources, and the GM has uh, their resources, and,
0: and it's not, not
1: the, infinite. Yeah, it's not that the GM is against the players, but you know, if you if you have so much to bring to bear, I just find as a GM it's kind of fun for me. When I look at the stack of fate points I have, and I think that's that's what I have for this session, because I just generally run run one shots at conventions. Um, like that's what I have to use. And as the game goes on, and I have this, you know, 10 fate points in my fate point reserve left over at the end, I'm like, well, I'm gonna blow all of these now because I've got them, and they're you know, they're gonna go away at the end of this thing. Um, you know, it it kind of mandates that you have this big finish that things are really tough, you know, in the end as you go. Um, and the GM can earn more fate points. Uh, if you decide, I'm going to take a lightning gun along on this, um, <laughs> along on this mission, even if you're not a weird character, just like a regular action scientist, you can grab a lightning gun from Tesla headquarters, and uh, that's fine. You become much more powerful, but the GM gets more fate points. Um, so that's, uh, that's the balancing factor. and I just found it's, it's worked very well. And you can have characters of disparate power levels within the same group, um, and, uh, it does not mean that the more powerful character is always going to shine because not everyone has, you know, skills in the, the same area, but it also means that if you, you know, if you, um, if you're the one who's putting five fate points in the GM's fate point reserve, the GM, uh, is highly encouraged to point those fate points back at you during the course of play <laughs> and not at the guy next to you who didn't contribute anything to the reserve. Uh, so... It, it kind of um, it balances things within play you kind of put a target on your back if you come in with this really powerful character but that's what you wanted because you have this big powerful character you like Robo who you know is bulletproof and uh, super strong you know it doesn't mean he can do everything he can't be two places at once uh, but you know he has certain advantages for sure but he's not especially if you read a comic he's not the guy who solves everything every time
0: mm-hmm very cool. And you, I just wanted to kind of highlight, there was one term that you you dropped in there when you were talking about mega stunts, but I kind of wanted to highlight it. Um, when you say weird character, you're not simply using a descriptive term. You actually use uh, the, the, the word weird character as right. a class of characters. They're actually yeah. cap, capital W weird characters.
1: Yeah, there, there are two character creation methods in the book. Um, one of them the, is the easy no math character creation that I uh, came up with once I thought I had an easy character creation method and then uh, I, you know, the first time I had friends of mine make characters, you know uh, it was not as easy as I thought it would this is the story of my life mm-hmm. story of my game designing life <laughs> not as easy as I thought it was so I was like, okay, make it easier, no math just, just choices, that's it you just make mm-hmm. choices, no math so there's that method, and that method primarily uses these standard modes action, banter, intrigue, and science Weird characters are just characters who aren't made using the easy no math method. Um, so if you want to mix it up, if you want to have, you know, you know, if you want to play that robot or that dinosaur or that, you know, sentient lemur, whatever, you know, then that's that's uh, up to you. You can make that character. It's just going to be a weird character. It just means non-standard. And there are characters like the um, like the She-Devils, the She-Devils of the Pacific. They're weird characters, even though they're all human, um, but they each have uh, a weird mode, the She-Devil mode. That um, no one else has because they're she devils, and that's just you know that mode just it's so it's such an integral part of their character that it literally is a part of their character. It's a it's a third of their modes, um, but they're not weird and like they don't have three eyes or anything. They're just you know they're they're just they just deviate from the normal assumed character. Um, some weird characters are genuinely weird, like you know Doctor Dinosaur is genuinely weird. Um, but yeah, it is it is a way of describing a character. Then they and. Uh, I, there are in the book um, these weird modes you know like um, like warbot or psychokinetic or even relatively mundane ones that are still weird like reporter and soldier um, there are a lot of these ready-made weird modes in the book so if you're like well I do want to play a robot but I don't want to have to go through all this stuff that's fine you can pick one of those weird modes and treat it just like standard mode and uh, you know plop it into your character and uh, you're good to go. So you don't have to necessarily go through all the math. Those, those are easy, weird characters. They're kind of a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. And uh, they work just fine.
0: Cool. cool. All right. Um, so one of the things that uh, I probably should touch on um, is, of course, there are tons of sample characters. You, know, you, you, you had said before that uh, the comic creators didn't want to do a whole bunch of books. So you've managed yeah. to cram a lot of stat blocks into this book. Yeah. Um, so, who are some of the most fun characters to try and adapt? And were any of them, uh, did any of them like give you trouble trying to figure out how to do them?
1: Uh, this is a hard question to answer because, um, you know, some of them are super easy. Like the action scientists are all pretty easy. Brian Clevenger writes a paragraph description, and then using that, what I know from the comic, you know, you look through all their lines of dialogue and you see what they say. They can be turned into an aspect or the name of a stunt or something or that reveals something important about them and then you you know you make that part of their character so mm-hmm. that was something um up four different versions of atomic robo for different time periods mm-hmm. that was cool because you know i really made an effort to make them different they're not super different he always has action science and robot as his modes but they're oh no actually no in the beginning he doesn't have action he has banter that's right thanks thanks for reminding myself of that yeah um but uh, you know, Jenkins was fun to make because it was just like, let's make this unbeatable combat monster because that's what he is in the book. Um, and uh, that was good. I liked um, Morgan Ellis did the She Devils, and uh, he also did Ira Mack and Slim, the uh, the science agents from 50s era uh, Tesla Dine, And Those mm-hmm. were I liked all those. those was real fun. I really liked doing Carl Sagan. Um, because it was just so, you know, because he's a he's a prominent character in at least one issue of the comic, and uh, you know he's an important person. Doing him, Edison, Tesla, and Stephen Hawking; those are all like, okay, people are really going to care about these characters. Edison in a slightly different way, since the comic portrays him as pretty much a straight-up villain. But certainly, Tesla, Sagan, and Hawking; these are like important real people of the 20th century, and you know you want to do them justice mm-hmm. so it was fun to make those guys these guys especially Sagan you know to make a guy who's completely not at all action oriented he's about science and talking and you know, like that's what he's about and those characters are really fun to make um, I got to play last time I ran a game of atomic Robo. I got to play Dr. Dinosaur and Jenkins as NPCs and um, that was a lot of fun they were both <laughs> super fun characters to play jenkins was exactly what i wanted to be unstoppable <laughs> he took on a group of four pcs and he was fine um and uh yeah he was just uh he he was a lot of fun and so was dr dinosaur dr dinosaur is just when i actually use those stunts as written in case he, his stunts are they take up a lot of space some couple of his stunts <laughs> are the paragraph because they're complicated concepts they're trying to explain you know the fact that he can just put on a hat and a coat and somehow nobody notices he's a dinosaur you know it's part of his whole looney tunes aesthetic where like things don't make sense around him you know like reality takes a holiday when dr dinosaur is in a story um so it's fun to build those things mechanically into his character Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah honestly it was a lot of work during the character run-ups really a lot of work maybe the most work of any single chapter because there's all this research and going back and you know like i said scanning lines of dialogue and you know, figuring out for sure who these people are and stuff. But it was also a lot of fun. I can't think of a single character that wasn't like genuinely fun on some level to put together. Um, and all of them, you know, every single character, you're like, okay, this is going to be great. I can see the game where this character gets used. <laughs> you get excited about every character because this is your chance to communicate to the reader like, here's how you're going to use this guy in a game. Here's even like vampires where it's all just. You know, vampires from the vampire dimension, where it's all just the same guy. You know, they're all just nameless NPCs, but still, you want to make them tough enough, you know, and enough of a thing that if you put enough of them together, they're really a problem, which is what they are in the comic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, they were – it was uh, was, – it's almost shocking to hear myself say it was fun to do that chapter – because it was so much work, <laughs> 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 but uh, but it really was, um, and I'm I'm very pleased with, with the result, and I'm super happy with the layout of that chapter about mm-hmm. uh, just how much art we were able to fit in there. It was really important. Oh, I know who I should mention: Sparrow, too, a character who does not appear in the comic, but who is just assumed to exist. This is in the in there. There's one volume of Atomic Robo that takes place in World War II. We get to meet Sparrow, this character Sparrow, who's like an operative of the. Of the uh, British government, mm-hmm. and then another volume. We in the modern day we meet her grandson, I believe, uh, Sparrow Three, who's also the same operative in the British government. And sparrows is just like a title that they have. Mm-hmm. So in between there was Sparrow Two, and uh, she's like an Emma Peel type in the '60s, and uh, that was really fun to make because I had total free reign there. There was no example to follow. Nice. Um, it was just whatever. I just want to make Emma Peel and John Steed. Uh, in one character. If you're lucky, and, uh, someday
0: she'll appear in the comics. She
1: will. She's coming. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. for sure. Um, yeah, that was the other thing. I mean, it should not be discounted that another cool thing about working on Atomic Robo was getting early access to all the comics as they came out, getting to read the scripts in advance, um, getting uh, getting just the inside scoop on all this stuff, what they have planned, what's coming up. Uh, there's a bunch of material in the book that is not available in any comic anywhere. It comes straight from their plans for future comics, um, like background material on Project Daedalus, which we have not heard anything about in the comic, really, or Delphi or anything about, like um, Most Perfect Science Division, China's version of Tesladyne. Um, just a ton of stuff in there, and it, it was important to me that as you're if you're a fan but you're not, you're not a gamer – that um, this book would still be cool to you because of all the stuff that's in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think we accomplished that. I'm certainly, as a fan myself, I'm excited about all the stuff that's just all the background material in the book and getting to just be able to ask Brian, like, hey, so who are these guys? Where are these guys from? What do these guys look like? And then he has to tell me
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's great. (laughs) He can't play coy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then every now and then you get the, he says, well, you know, we'll just make up something. I'm like, I don't really want to make up something. <laughs> as a fan, I would want to know this came from you. You know, <laughs> like, as a fan of this thing, I want to know it's not just some game designer making some something, not because he could. I want, like, I want what's really there. I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of a stickler for canon in some ways. Mm-hmm. Even though in the book we we tell you, uh, you know, don't stick to canon, do whatever you want. Like, here's a timeline of events, but don't feel like you have to follow it. You know, go off on a, you know, tangent, change you know change continuity we don't care um please do in fact um so uh uh yeah i don't know what question i was answering but
0: that's where i (laughs) ended up so um if you would if you were gonna give a piece of advice to somebody um like who was gonna gm atomic robo for their first time and maybe hadn't gm'd fate or or um you know or or had Necessarily was super familiar with uh, with 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 the books. What piece of advice do you think would would kickstart them and get them into the game?
1: Well, I honestly think if you're not already a fan of the comics, reading the role-playing game will make you a fan of the comics because part of the cool thing about the art was being able to pick uh, like all my favorite panels of the art uh, of the comic and find a way to fit them in there. And to communicate – I feel like they really communicate a lot to you about what this world is like without telling you everything about all the stories that have been told in it. Um, So I think you get a really good feel – it's just my guess. I think you would Mm -hmm. get a really good feel for the tone of the comic just by reading the role-playing game and looking at the panels in there. I mean we have – I can think of off the top of my head. There's a stretch of four pages where there's hardly any body text. It's all panels. <laughs> it's all like like a full page art, and then a you know a, a sidebar with you know KoA the GM talking about you know giving GM advice, and you know there's no body text. It's all just talking to the reader, either graphically or you know with straight up advice. Um, so there's that. And also if you go to atomic-robo.com slash free comics, I think. Anyway, if you go to their website for Atomic Robo, there are a bunch of free comics there, including the first issue of Volume 1, and all their free comic book day comics and some other comics besides. So um, if you are if you read the, the role-playing game and you say, wow, yes, I am now interested in this comic, that is the perfect place to start because, one, it's free, and, two, there's a lot of variety there in terms of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in terms of... I have t- I, I just said this uh, to someone else recently, but I have two main bits of advice for Fate if you are and um, you know new to GMing or new to being a player, even actually not even new. Just I personally think these two things are important. One, as a GM, uh, you know don't go easy on the players. Um, like really go after them. It's okay. There's a just like in Kerberos Club there's a safety valve in Atomic Robo in the form of collateral consequences. So hit them hard, really do. It's it's more fun as a player when you end a session with some consequences than if you don't. Like mm-hmm. if you, if, For me, if I come through and all I have to do is erase a stress box or something, that's kind of a disappointment. Because it meant that I was, you know, the stakes were never that high. But if I come out of it with a major consequence or a severe consequence, or we have a severe collateral consequence, which means something is wrong with the world now, um, that's great. You know, that's I think that's really cool. <laughs> I have more fun as a player that way. So yeah, don't uh, don't go easy on the players. And in Atomic Robo, you have the luxury of that this uh, reserve of fate points for the GM. You know, as I was saying before, if they bring in powerful characters, you get extra fate points. They're kind of yours to spend whenever. They're not scene dependent. So um, you know, if you got them, spend them. And my advice for players is to you know, don't be afraid to take uh, a consequence or check a stress box. It's okay. Save your fate points for being awesome. You know, save, save your fate points for doing something really cool on your turn. Don't worry about so much, you know, if you take, if you take a hit. It's okay. <laughs> I've seen a player spend like six fate points to avoid taking one point of, you know, one point of stress. And uh, it's ridiculous. Just take the consequence. It's okay. It'll make your game more fun. Um, if you put those two things together, if the GM is hard on the players and the players are willing to take the consequence, then yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good starting point. Um, cool. I'd like to think that there's a lot of good GM advice in there. I kind of hesitate to say that because you know I wrote a lot of it, but uh, <laughs> I do think that there is good advice in there. Um, you know, I uh, was an English major in school, and I applied my knowledge of literary criticism to Atomic Robo to analyze a comic and figure out what they do with the stories they tell and what's important and, you know, um, what's at the, you know, how, how a story is structured. And then of course, you know, a lot of help from Brian and Scott too, and talking about their formula for, uh, coming up with a story. Um, so I think that if you read some free comics, read the Jam uh, advice in there on, um, telling stories the atomic robo way and um, then, uh, you know, I think you can't uh, can't go too wrong. And after that, it's just whatever difficulties you might have with the system. But, you know, there's, uh, that's okay. There's always going to be some amount of that, I guess, that'll be going on. Okay. Um, but, uh,
0: uh, yeah, there's, I like think there's uh, a lot of good stuff in there. Sounds like some really good advice there. i going to have to try and be a little harder on my players. Um.
1: <laughs> I just nail them. Just keep hitting them for 12 or something, and they'll have no choice. You're going to have to so, blow up a building at some point.
0: <laughs> so um, just a quick question getting back to the license uh, real quick um, they said they wanted one book so do you guys not have any plans for any, uh, any sequels or, or adventures or setting books or is this book pretty much it
1: no we definitely have plans for a second book mm-hmm. um, this book is very much focused on playing action scientists of Tesladyne that mm-hmm. is your thing um, so I really want to do a book about player characters that don't fall into that mold mm-hmm. player characters who are science team super 5 the uh, the science super sentai team of uh, big science incorporated in, in Japan or mm-hmm. you know agents of um, Majestic 12 they're always framed as an evil government agency and atomic robo but those guys think, do not think of themselves as villains they think of themselves as heroes and I think that those would be some cool stories to tell too Mm-hmm. um or being uh you know the uh, centurions of science you know Nikola Tesla's band of heroes from the uh, 19th century or you know there's there's a lot of other stories to tell um, and that don't involve action scientists and uh, so that's that's the thing I want to do um, the core book here presents you with one faction basically Tesladyne tells tells you what Tesladyne is about and how to use Tesladyne and all this stuff but all these other People they have their own factions. They have their own support networks through them. So the next book I want to make about characters from other factions, how to make your own faction, you know, mechanically. I mean, you know, they it's basically a character in the game, and um, focus on that. So I think that is I think that's uh, definitely a worthwhile book to do. That sounds then,
0: really
1: exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I because I've run stories, um, I've run scenarios with um, Tesla and the Centurions of Science. And it's super fun. <laughs> they're great. <laughs> Who doesn't want to play Annie Oakley and Harry Houdini? You know, like, they're they're great characters to play. And Wong Ki-in, and um, they're just awesome. Um, I also want to uh, do... Well, I had this idea to have a book called Real Science Adventures that was a compilation of all the scenarios that we've run at conventions because like, I kind of, sort of have a, uh, a demo team or have, have now and then in the past and we've all run different scenarios at conventions. So uh, there's an intro scenario that I wrote for the playtest. And there are all the games that I've run at conventions. And Morgan Ellis and my friend Andy Blanchard ran it once in World War II, where Oppenheimer's brain uh, was in the body of a dog. Anyway, this is the sort of thing you get up <laughs> in this game. Um, and there was a Frankenstein. And there were, you know, anyway. Um, and I'd like to have a, a book that compiles all those adventures. But I think. That maybe the smarter way to do that is to do a series of PDFs that get released called Real Science Adventures. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just come out with those one at a time, kind of like a uh, Patreon.
0: Patreon, is that how it's pronounced? I have no idea. I've been calling it Patreon. I don't understand
1: Patreon. Yeah, I don't understand Patreon. I guess it's Patreon because it's patron.
0: I have no idea. (laughs) I've I've heard patronize and patronize, so... Yeah, guys, I don't (laughs) understand how it's pronounced.
1: And I don't understand how it works. I don't understand Storium either. But that's uh, not related to this the um, <laughs> uh So yeah, so those are the other plans we have. It's not that they didn't want more than one book; it's that they only wanted to have, they only wanted you to need to buy one book to play. Good. So this one book is more than enough to play. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have stats for the She Devils. We have stats for Science Team Super Five, and for the Macallisters, you know, for uh, Jack Sparrow and, this... and Nightingale. Yeah, they're all in there.
0: And this is so... a meaty book too. It's it's over three hundred. It's a uh... Uh, including the cover uh, three hundred and twelve pages so yeah massive PDF here so you're getting a lot of bang for your buck uh, for, yeah and for I mean, ordering that uh, that book
1: I get that it look someone's gonna point out it could have been like 200 pages if you cut out art. I get that but come on I'm not gonna cut out art. I, what I like about this book is that art isn't just there to look pretty art is useful in this book it's it's telling you how things work in the game. Um, and I, I just love that I can completely justify a page that's two thirds full of art um, because it's telling you how to play. It's not just not just illustrating something. It's well, it is illustrating something. It's illustrating gameplay, not mm-hmm. just showing what the character looks like. You know. Right. Um, so uh, so I love that. So I it would not be the same book at all without all the art that it has, which is a lot, which shocking amount of art. Sometimes as I page through it, I'm like, man, we have like. Like half a page of text in three pages. here. <laughs> yeah. But, but the stuff that isn't text is just as valuable to me.
0: So. And it well it's and I, what I really, as I said before, I really love the art. I think it's telling the story of the game as much as it is, uh, you know, showing off the comic book. So, I think it's really useful. Even even down to the graphic design elements, um, like the character sheet is really really nice looking, really clean looking. Um, I like how it explains, you know, I, I like how the, gra- the character sheet, you know, demonstrates how modes work, and, yeah. you know, so everything in here, there doesn't seem to be anything that's without purpose, and, I mean, you got a huge index, um, lots of oh, topics man. linked in the index, uh, yeah. you've, got, uh, you've got, you know, great bookmarks, this is just a spectacular uh, PDF, uh, I think people really enjoying this and I think, you know, anyone picking this up will definitely be getting your money's worth. It's, it's gorgeous. It's a lot of, it looks like a lot of fun. I'm actually going to sit down and, and read this in more detail tonight, but, uh, um, so it's it's your fault if I uh, lose any sleep this week, but uh, <laughs> I'm really excited.
1: about Hey, this. listen, I've been losing sleep for years, so you can lose some sleep now. That's fine. I don't mind.
0: <laughs> That's a fair don't, trade. All don't right. come crying to me. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I want to I want to thank you again for for joining me. Um, is there anything like that you? I, I mean, uh, I want to say again that people can find this on the. Uh, the Fate RPG website, but uh, is there anything think, else that you can? Yeah, sure? I was
1: I was going to suggest to evilhat mm-hmm. It goes right to the there's, there's a you know store thing right there. Okay.
0: Um,
1: uh, well, thanks. First of all, thanks for all your kind words about the book, and it's been really great to see the reaction people have had to it so far, just today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's so gratifying because this has been a really important and uh, actually personal project of mine for the past two and a half years. And uh, it's just great that it's finally out in some form. People have a week to tell us about typos and stuff. Um, ah, yes. Um, and then uh, there's where, a form. where can
0: they Where can they report uh, the typos and and, uh, and glitches?
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. Actually, Sean, post it here. Um, well, if you go, it's I believe it's at. Uh, it might be at Evil Hat somewhere um i bet on the product page there's a feedback form but um yeah until the um worst case scenario tweet at evil hat official or um find evil hat official find the evil hat account on facebook or on google Mm plus father fred hicks at fred hicks and i
0: will link the uh i will link uh both the atomic robo pre-order page and the um the link for the form, if people want to contribute uh, to the to the uh, bug reporting, as it were. Yeah, please you know, do. Before, I mean, every... You got, a, you, every got, you got a week to report any, any yeah. typos before it goes to the printer, and then they, any typos that are left will be indelibly printed in ink.
1: Yeah, so. and that was so valuable for fake Core, having that period of...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, where the Kickstarter backers had the PDF for a while, and then, you know, that book improved a lot. Um from that, uh, from the exposure to the backers, so we want a similar thing here. And of course, every mistake you find is like, a, you know, like a dagger in my heart. But um, it's important that uh, you find them, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because because <laughs> I want it to go out as being the best book it can be. And uh, you know, I've certainly stressed over little things like the apostrophe here is going the wrong way on seventies, or you know, um, tiny little things I have forced Adam to fix, and he did it with a smile, so um, let's make him do more of that, I guess is what I'm
0: saying yeah, <laughs> um, there's no reason that to stop now excellent alright, well thank you once again for joining me Mike, I'm really excited to be working with you on Dianja and, yeah, um, me too. and uh, really looking forward to that, um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you again, it always is Ditto. and uh, are, are you going to be making any convention appearances in the next couple of months, do you want to mention?
1: good point um yeah i always go to the strategic con conventions in la so the next one is GameX, which happens over memorial day weekend at the lax hilton we've just moved hotels Mm -hmm. um so i'll be running something atomic robo there i'm sure uh i'll be at um san diego comic-con in july i'll be at gen con in august and that's far enough right i mean
0: yeah I'll definitely be seeing you at Gen Con then. I think I'm going to go to Big
1: Bad Con this October because of Atomic Robo. I think I think I can justify it. Also, it happens the day after (laughs) my birthday, so I think I can do it. Fantastic. Um, But uh, yeah, I try to. uh, I make a lot of convention uh, visits. It's where most of my gaming gets done. So I have a super skewed version of how gaming works. But uh, for me, it's all one shots with strangers. But um, yeah, definitely. If uh, and uh, you know what I really look forward to is people running Atomic Robo. Uh, that aren't me, that aren't people I know. <laughs> to just see, I look forward to seeing Atomic Robo games on the schedule at Gen Con, and I'm totally mm-hmm. gonna play in them. So um, uh, please, if, you've, uh, if you're gonna get the book, it really, the print issue comes out in June, um, and uh, the pre-order will, or not pre-order, the PDF sales will go, on, go uh, up in June as well. Uh, so yeah, get those, and then register your game for Gen Con so I can play in your Atomic Robo game, whoever you are. <laughs> Excellent.
0: All right. Well, once again, Mike, thanks for joining us. And to everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, stay vigilant.